Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually, I went to Starbucks this morning and I'm one of those people who was very excited about pumpkin. You did it? You got the pumpkin spice latte already? Well, I didn't get pumpkin spice. I just, I get a, like a pump of pumpkin in my coffee because I'm a kind of a plain coffee drinker, but it's just like, I don't know, the weather's starting to feel cooler here in Washington and it's making me excited for fall. That's so smart. And also I'm so jealous, but I typically do like, I'm not a very disciplined person when it comes to, I don't know, like (laughs) food or drink or Mm -hmm. whatever. But when it comes to pumpkin spice latte, I take it pretty seriously. And I usually don't let myself get one until the weather outside feels like fall. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just like a random day Mm -hmm. in August, I'll allow it. Um, So I'm very jealous. I guess Seattle is nice right now. It's pretty nice. There was like a like a light fog out this morning. Oh <laughs> so I've seen a lot of controversy on this is the earliest that Starbucks has released pumpkin. I mean, we need something right now. You know, we need a bright spot in 2020 and it's the pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. I'm like, okay, all the haters who are mad about <laughs> pumpkin, like go talk to your grocery store about how they already have Halloween candy out and get off the pumpkin. Right. And just don't buy it, you know, if you're exactly. upset. I don't know. <laughs> so that's my excitement for the day. Yeah, that's actually very exciting. Whenever I have my pumpkin spice latte day, I will let you know. It's still very hot and humid in Nashville, so yeah. I'm not allowing myself to do that yet. Well, it also makes me feel like it's just like going back to school and like it reminds yeah. me of like when I was in college and oh my I would go get – so. um I know we kind of talked about it, but today we'll kind of feel like back to school day because we're going to do a little vocab lesson. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So it's like fall, you got your pumpkin spice latte, and now we're sitting down in a lecture hall yep. at your university, and we're just going to talk Take about some deliverability Yeah, definitions, get your coffee. We both have our big sweatshirts on already, so I actually do feel like I'm right back in my college lecture yeah, this will be like a fun a fun review of a lot of things we've already covered, but it'll help to sort of just like have them all in one place. Yeah. So there will be uh, certain definitions that we could go way into more depth about, and we've already done that in other episodes. So we'll just help point you to those episodes if there is a vocab definition we touch on and you're like, oh, wow, I, I want to know a lot more about that. We've got you covered. Um, But if we went into extreme detail on all of these different vocabulary, uh, you know, pieces, then we would be here all day and you guys don't want that. That'd be boring. Also, I thought for a minute you put these in alphabetical order and then I realized they (gasps) Oh, I wish. I should (laughs) have. No, it's not. I don't care. I just was like, oh, that's really impressive. And then I was like, oh, no, that's that's not what happened here. Yeah, it's a little all over the place, but I tried to start with the basics and get a little more... um, not basic as yeah, we that's go. Perfect. So we'll see. We'll see how well we did. Well, I guess we will just get started. So we're going to start with um, some more basic definitions and we'll just run through what each of them mean. So first we have delivery. 
And I didn't say deliverability. I said delivery. And those are two different things. So delivery is when an email is successfully delivered at the end of the email sending process. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but whenever an email gets sent or you attempt to send an email, at the very end of that kind of conversation between sender and receiver, the receiver will either say, 250, okay, accepted, pretty much. That's kind of the code they give. And that means I got the email, I accept it, it's delivered. And that's what we're referring to when we talk about delivery. And deliverability is when an email reaches the inbox of a subscriber. And deliverability is obviously a lot of what we talk about in this podcast. And the things that can lead to your deliverability um, being affected in some way. So if that email does not reach the inbox of a subscriber, um, what happened in that pathway, what caused it to go to a certain folder, um, what caused an email to bounce, that is your deliverability. Yep, exactly. Um, So on that note, a spam filter is the algorithms and the machine learning that filters email for the users and decides whether emails belong in the inbox, spam folder, or somewhere else. So pretty much anyone in 2020 is going to have some sort of spam filter on their email. I'm sure you do if you're an email user, um, whether you know it or not. So if you're using Gmail, they have their own spam filter. Same with any other mailbox provider like Microsoft, Yahoo, Comcast, anyone you can think of. And then also if they're using some other sort of inbox, maybe app, maybe the mail app on their computer, there's always a spam filter at play to try and keep people safe, but also to try and keep their inbox consisting of only emails that they actually care about and really want to receive to give them the best experience possible. I was reading an interesting article the other day actually about um, trends in 2020, and it was written in 2019. So it was like obviously kind of predicting what you know, they thought they were going to see an email in 2020. And um, between an election year and then obviously like, you know, COVID and everything going on, they were just saying like one thing they think they are going to continue to see in email is like AI. So like, you know, artificial intelligence type learning for like consumer behavior. And they were basically just talking about how advanced the spam filtering was going to have to be in order to like make sure that people are protected from malicious targeting of email. And I mean, already it's obviously very advanced and especially with how much phishing is probably going on right now. You know, you've said many times, like most email that is sent is bad, malicious, um, spam, whatever. So I just think it's really interesting that already spam filtering is so advanced and important, but they have to continue to monitor and create different versions of spam filtering and make those algorithms better, stronger, smarter. It's just fascinating to me. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, (laughs) spammers are pretty smart and savvy, and they tend to really pay attention to the patterns and things of spam filters. And they try all the time to adapt to get around those spam filters because If a spammer or fisher is able to make it into the inbox or get seen by the subscriber, sadly, a lot of times they are successful. That's why they're doing what they're doing and they are making money or they are, you know, doing something that's benefiting them. Uh, If all their messages get blocked or go to spam, then they're just wasting their time. Their phishing or spamming isn't working. But 
That means they are extremely motivated to get around those spam filters. So the people who build the spam filters are having to always adapt mm-hmm. and always get better and better and better, which also means you're going to see more false positives right. as they change the way spam filters work. They're going to yeah. send more legit mail to spam on accident. And that's just the way technology works. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about that article. I was like, this is, you know, you could read this and be like, oh, yeah, that's fine and great. But it affects, you know, senders to good senders who are trying to make sure that they follow the rules. And like you said, don't look like a spammer. Don't do things a spammer would do. But as it's constantly changing, we have to inform ourselves as senders. Yeah, that's so interesting. You just made me think it's like this weird cycle where Mm -hmm. spammers are trying to look legit which sometimes makes legit people look like spammers yeah. because the spammer is trying to look like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a crazy cycle. So, of course, there's going to be some spam filters that get it wrong from time to time. I know someone just tweeted, uh, Clint, if you're listening, <laughs> Clint just tweeted me recently and said, you know, Rackspace is marking the ConvertKit newsletter as spam. And I was like, oh, I'll take a look. And he's like, oh, they're marking everything as spam. Like, it's not ConvertKit. They are marking Every email pretty much I get that's legit as spam. Yeah, it's so, um Yeah, like there are just some spam filters who have gotten better mm-hmm. at getting it right. And there are some that still have a long way to go. So something to think about. Yeah, definitely. We could have a whole episode on this, yeah. I think. So next is a complaint. This is a very important one. Um, I think some people might get confused about what exactly a complaint means. Definitely. Um, but it's when a subscriber marks your message as spam. Yeah, I often see people like get a little confused when they're new to email marketing and they'll be like, what did my subscriber complain about? Like yeah. specifically, like you could like write in a field like, I just don't like this person's content. But right. yeah, it's mostly or not mostly. It is a person marking messages spam. Yeah, we do have every now and then a subscriber will email abuse at convertkit.com, which is great. That's what they're supposed to do and say, I didn't sign up for this, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so we consider that a direct complaint and we still act on those. But generally in the email world, when you're talking about complaints or a complaint rate, it isn't anyone like writing in something or you know making some sort of explanation. They just clicked that mark as spam button in their email inbox, which I'm sure you've done before, or you've at least seen that button. And the next definition goes into that. It's a feedback loop. So a feedback loop helps the mailbox tell the sender, hey, this person just marked your message as spam. And that helps you as a sender know kind of like how you're doing. If you have a large complaint rate or your complaints spike, you can know something went wrong. And you can also make sure that you don't send that person any emails in the future, um, which ConvertKit automatically does for you. So if someone marks your message as spam and the mailbox provider has a feedback loop in place, then ConvertKit will make sure that that subscriber is inactive and won't receive any future emails, which protects your reputation and deliverability. Right. One of those metrics that's important to look at, I've had um, customers reach out and ask if they should delete those complained subscribers in their ConvertKit account. And that's one of those metrics that's really important to have a history of just so you can see if there was like a deliverability issue or if there was, um, you know, maybe there was high complaints on like a specific email that you sent or something. So I always recommend that people do not delete those complained subscribers because it's helpful, especially for a deliverability team to look at your account and see if something uh, went wrong. It's a very helpful metric. The next 
vocabulary word is mailbox provider. Um, So we obviously use this all the time and it's the platform that a subscriber uses to host their mailbox. So Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, any of those mailbox provider. And they're the ones that are, like Alyssa mentioned, they're providing a feedback loop. They have spam filtering. Those are the ones, those are the people who are utilizing those kinds of tools. Yeah, exactly. When you send an email to a subscriber, you're really sending it to that mailbox provider, and then they route the email to the subscriber who uses them. So it's very important that those mailbox providers like your mail and your reputation, which is what we talk about on this podcast. So if you're confused about reputation and what that is, check out our episode on sender reputation. Um, The next definition we have for you is domain. This might sound straightforward, but I mean, for a lot of people who have never gotten into email marketing before, they might not know what the word domain means, and that's totally normal. So if you're looking at an email address, the part that comes after the at symbol is the domain. And it kind of, it looks like a website. It could also be a website if you typed it into your internet browser. So for example, gmail.com, if you're a business. So for example, I have a website, alissadoolin.com. And when I send emails, that's my domain. So pretty much, yeah, anything after the at symbol in an email is your domain. And that domain carries around a sender reputation, as we mentioned earlier. So we talk about domains all the time, and that's what we're referring to. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, customers sign up sometimes and want to use ConvertKit, and they'll start using a free uh, provider, like they'll have their you know, their name, Melissa Lambert at gmail.com, for example. And sometimes it's a little confusing because they don't realize that they actually need to add a sender email address that is not a free Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail account. They need to add their actual domain sending email. Um, This can really affect your deliverability in a poor, poor way. So we actually talk about this in another episode too. But yeah, just kind of a little tidbit of something that new email marketers sort of miss at times. Yes, that is such a good point and something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Next is spam traps. Um, We also have, I think, do we have an entire episode on spam traps? An entire episode. A whole episode. They're starting to get more and more that I forget what we did when. It's crazy. (laughs) But a spam trap uh, is an email address that is used to catch senders with bad practices. They are not something that you are easily able to detect on your list. In fact, we've again, we've talked about this before, but if you use like a list cleaning tool, a list verification tool, it is not something that you will be able to pinpoint and pick out on your list, which is why it's important to consistently, you know, remove cold subscribers, make sure you're cleaning your list, make sure that you're only messaging the people who are opening your emails. Wow. Mic drop, honestly. <laughs> that was so good. Oh, you good, just I'm summed glad. up spam traps in like one sentence and that's amazing so i must be learning something information (laughs) no you're teaching a lot um if you need more information on spam traps like melissa said we have a whole episode but that was a great summary going along with spam traps are block lists and those are companies or organizations that compile a database of risky domains or ips Another one that we have a full episode on, so I won't go too in-depth, but quick summary, there are hundreds of block lists out there. They don't all affect your mail the same way. Some would have a huge effect on your mail if you were on the block list. Some would have zero effect on your mail if you were on the block list. 
um, the block lists themselves don't stop your mail from making it to the inbox. They're just a list and they just post information to the list. And it's up to the mailbox providers to decide how they want to use that block list. So if you want any more info about how all that works, check out our episode called Demystifying Block Lists. Mm -hmm. Authentication is the next word. And it is authentication is um, a method to ensure that the person sending the email is who they are. So there are three types. There is SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. And this is just a way to make sure that someone is not potentially like spoofing your domain. They, I forgot what I was going to say, Alyssa, you're really good at explaining these three different types of authentication. Well, these um, really, I could talk about them for a long time. So I will just say, if you have questions about authentication or you want to learn more, just go check out our episode on authentication. It's actually still our most downloaded episode, which is crazy because I thought it would be way too technical, Mm -hmm. but I think people actually enjoyed it. We start with what you need to know about authentication without getting technical. And then we deep dive into SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. So go check that out. But you know your summary is perfect, Melissa. It's really just to make sure people can't send emails and say they are someone that they're not and trick you. I think I was going to say, I like lost my train of thought for a second, um, that this is kind of the one area in deliverability where I think if you have like an issue, like a technical issue with authentication, it's usually one of the only things that you can actually like quick fix in deliverability. Um, I think that's where I was kind of going with that. Yeah, we kind of, in a weird way, love authentication for that reason, because if somebody reaches out and is like, oh my goodness, my open rates have dropped like crazy, and it's an authentication issue, we get to be superheroes and say, mm-hmm. oh, you need to fix this one thing, and then everything goes back to normal, and it's beautiful. Yeah, um, it's pretty fun. But with <laughs> every other like deliverability issue you can have, that just isn't, that doesn't happen. You have to be patient, and you have to make a bunch of changes, and you have to wait and hope things, you know, improve. Right. So. Authentication can be fun. Uh, The next definition we have for you is message headers um, or email headers. Sometimes they're called long headers. Essentially, this can be like the transcript of the email. And I think a lot of people just don't know that for any email in your inbox, you can go look at the message headers. Most people will not do this. So most subscribers will never know that exists. But if you're trying to diagnose something or just take a look under the hood kind of of your email, you can check out the message headers. Uh, We do have a YouTube video on how to do this, so we can put that in the show notes. But essentially, it kind of lets you know what the robots that sent your messages and received your messages kind of said in their conversation. It'll tell you if authentication passed or failed. It'll tell you sometimes some spam filtering information, especially for like um, Hotmail or Microsoft addresses. They put some scoring in there that will help you determine why they did what they did. So it doesn't help everything. It's not always the most insightful thing, but it can be helpful in some situations. So that's what uh, message headers are. Yeah, they're kind of like the when you figure out how to kind of utilize them, it makes you feel smart. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. If people see your computer at a coffee shop and you're looking at message headers, they're going to be like, wow. That person's technical. Right. (laughs) It's like anyone anyone can do it, but (laughs) it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's so funny. It makes me feel smart. But yeah, MX records are the next 
definition. Um, they specify the mail server responsible for accepting email messages on behalf of a domain name. So they're pretty straightforward. Yeah. So essentially, if you have a domain, so let's say you start um, a business. Let's say you start pumpkinspicelatte.com. It's probably already a thing, but Melissa just took a sip of her coffee, so I thought about it. So if you started pumpkinspicelatte.com and you wanted to send emails from that domain, you have to have an MX record for the domain because that MX record pretty much says, here is who is handling mail for this domain. Without an MX record, if somebody wants to send you an email, their sending you know, server would go to look up your MX record and there'd be nothing there. They'd have no idea where to put it. It's like if you wanted to send a letter to someone and you don't have their address. So this is a mistake we see a lot of new senders make, someone just starting up a business, is they set up a domain and then they go and try to you know, use that domain to send emails in ConvertKit or any other ESP. And they'll just randomly be like, yeah, info at pumpkinspicelatte.com. But they never set that up mm-hmm. and they don't have an MX record. So uh, make sure you do have that because if you want to send and receive emails, again, it's like your email or it's like your um, physical address. It's mm-hmm. like how people know where to get messages to you. So you need that. Um, yeah. Usually if you just set up like Gmail account, or, you know, some other email service on your domain host, it does all that for you. So you don't have to be super technical to make that work. Yeah. I've seen this happen too when a customer reaches out and says, hey, this subscriber recently signed up and their email is bouncing and they're not receiving messages. And sometimes it'll be one of those domain addresses and I will go look on, you know, the back end and they won't have an MX record set up. And unfortunately, there's not really anything we can do for them unless the you know, customer can contact the subscriber and say, hey, look, you can't receive mail right now. But obviously, if you don't have another way to contact them, that's pretty difficult to do. Yep, exactly. Got to have it. The next definition is opens and open rate, which might sound really straightforward, but we do have a whole episode on this too yep. um, called Meaningful Metrics Going Beyond Open Rates. Um, so just a quick explanation on how open rates are calculated because it is a little tricky and it's not always accurate. So opens are tracked using a little invisible pixel that's embedded in the email. And it's sort of like an image. And as soon as that email gets opened, that pixel is downloaded. And if we see that the pixel was downloaded, then we log an open event. But there are events or times when that pixel might be loaded, even if the message was never opened. And there also might be times where the message was opened, but the pixel was never loaded. So that's why open rates can be tricky and it's best not to treat them as if they are 100% accurate and the only metric you have. So I would recommend listening to our episode on open rates if you haven't already, because we talk about all of that and what to do instead. So clicks and click rates and click-through rates, there's a lot of different ways to calculate all this, but a click is more straightforward. Um, That's just tracked whenever someone clicks the link in an email. And because ConvertKit and likely any other ESP you're using, we make all of your links use our link tracking domain. That's how we're able to get that click data into our app and tell you what your click rate is. Um, The only kind of tricky thing that happens with clicks is that some spam filters for really strict 
domains or organizations might automatically click links to make sure they're safe and kind of run them through a check. So that is an area where clicks can get a little tricky. And it's usually really clear when automatic clicking is happening because you'll see that every single link in the email was clicked a lot. So we do have a knowledge base article on that that we will put in the show notes. Um, But some different ways people calculate clicks because there are a few different ways. So there's your basic click rate. And that is just the number of clicks divided by the number of deliveries. However, one subscriber could click 10 links. So in that definition, that would count as 10 clicks. There's another way to track clicks, which is the unique click rate. And that's the number of subscribers who clicked a link divided by the number of deliveries. So in that last example, that would have only been one click because one subscriber clicked 10 links. So it's good to um, kind of keep an eye on which click rate you're calculating, Um, especially if you're moving to a new ESP. A lot of people will be like, oh, my clicks are way better at this new ESP or they're way worse. And a lot of times it's just that those two ESPs have very different ways of calculating what a click rate is. So there's one more um, click to open rates, which can be really helpful. And that is the number of clicks divided by the number of opens. So in that case, you're asking yourself for all of the people who opened my email, how many of those people clicked? Obviously, in that definition, you're not caring about the people who didn't even open the message. They're not going to have clicked. Um, But you're saying if someone opened a message, what's the percentage of those people who have clicked? That's one of those metrics that's really easy to kind of overlook when you're moving from one ESP to another. And it could potentially make you panic a little bit, but it could just be like a technicality. It's just different. Yeah, exactly. It's good to know when two platforms are calculating things differently. It can happen with opens too. Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned, the way we calculate open rates is number of opens divided by the number of deliveries. So that's successful deliveries. Some people might calculate it as number of opens over all the emails you attempted to send. Mm -hmm. So even counting the bounces, which is in my mind, I'm like, well, that's not helpful. They bounced. Of course, they're not going to open the email. But some people do calculate it that way. So yeah, it's good if you're going to use a new platform or you're looking into your rates to truly understand how those are calculated. Right. Our next definition is list bombing. This is actually like one of my favorite things to talk about. It's just interesting. Um, <clears throat> this is when a, when subscribers are added to your form by a bot and they didn't actually sign up to receive your emails. And this is one of the more detrimental things that can happen to your sender reputation. You know, we kind of preach at ConvertKit that securing your forms is really important. Um, if you have those forms embedded on your website, you should be using a double opt-in and or reCAPTCHA. This just helps protect your forms, make sure that people who really want to sign up to your list are on your list and you're not emailing people who didn't want to be there. Because ultimately, you know, if I ended up on someone's email list and I had never signed up for it before, never seen it, I'd probably complain, probably mark that email as spam. And like we've mentioned before, you do not want your complaint complaint rate to skyrocket. So it's important that you monitor your forms. And if you see that, you know, your average signups just skyrocket one day, that's probably something you need to pay attention to. Yep. Perfect. You said it all. Um, On that note, something that we recommend with list bombing is what's called double opt-in or confirmed opt-in. Those are the same things. People just use different terms, but that's one of our recommendations when it comes to protecting your reputation and deliverability. 
And essentially, it's just when you require that anyone who signs up to your form has to click a link in an email to confirm that they actually signed up. Um, A lot of people don't, you know, they're concerned about setting that up because it feels like you're losing subscribers. You're missing out on people who have actually signed up through your form. But because we live in a world where list bombing exists, it is really helpful to keep your list clean because if someone gets added to your form and they didn't actually sign up to be there, at least they'll only get one email from you and they won't just suddenly start getting all of the emails you send to your list. And it just makes it a lot harder to clean out your list at that point um, once they've already done some damage. So highly recommend having double opt-in in place for all of your forms. Yeah, I feel like this is a topic I could talk about forever because it just <laughs> creates a whole like laundry list of problems. And I don't think it's hard for a lot of senders to look at their email list and think like, okay, I'd rather have a smaller list of really engaged subscribers than a really large list of people who are not opening my emails. Um, But we all struggle with like just this magic number of wanting our list to be a certain size. So sometimes I think it is challenging to feel like you're, like you said, not losing subscribers. But I personally, just from working at ConvertKit for the last two years, have seen like people with really engaged lists, even if they are smaller, have just such a higher rate of success when it comes to like sales and people engaging with their emails. So it really is, I think, one of the most important things people can do to protect like their list and, you know, make sure that their marketing efforts aren't going unnoticed or wasted. Wow. Another mic drop. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) I just want to take all these clips and yeah use them all over our Instagram, you know, some, which is a plug. Some days you're just on. Maybe it's <laughs> Today, the pumpkin. That's what it did it. Oh my gosh. Everybody go get a pumpkin spice It'll latte. It'll make your brain function. This is not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> Starbucks, if you want to sponsor our podcast, you know, <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense for you. Yeah. Um, totally. They go hand in hand, deliverability and pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, clearly it's working. Melissa is dropping mics all over the place. Oh. So thank you. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> thank you. Um, the next one is more of a marketing term that you probably know, but just in case you don't call to action, because we say it a lot on this podcast and it does help with deliverability because a call to action is having a really clear action step in your email that you're sort of emphasizing and asking subscribers to take that action. And the reason why it's a good thing to have a clear call to action is that you're likely going to see higher engagement, which boosts your deliverability and your sender reputation. If subscribers clearly understand what your email is even about, you know, everyone's very busy. Everyone's inboxes and promotions tab and all that is packed with people trying to get their attention. So if you were able to get them to open the message and they're using their sweet time to read your email, it needs to be pretty clear what your email is saying and what you want them to do. If it's a ton of text and there's so many links and you have to scroll through and it's just like, what is this? They're just going to click on to the next email, most likely, and not convert. I think this is one of the hardest like things for me personally to help people with because it feels really personal. Like when you tell someone like, oh, you know, everything as far as your deliverability goes seems to be okay, but your content sucks. No, I'm just kidding. I would never say that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, sometimes it's really just not obvious, like especially when you're the person who's working so closely on your own content. Like if you don't have a second set of eyes, I think it's really easy to assume like, oh, everyone knows what I'm trying to get them to do. 
But I do see like the call to action buried in emails all the time. And so if someone reaches out asking for deliverability advice or like an audit or whatever it is, and I don't know, this is when I have to like ask you for a lot of times, like I don't really see any issues in this person's account. And then oftentimes it ends up being something related to like their content or their their email frequency, like how often they send. But it is hard sometimes to tell someone like, hey, you need, but it's very common. Like even for me personally, like I will get an email from someone and it won't like say confirm your subscription. It'll say something else. Sometimes it's like very misleading and it can be really confusing. Yes. I love that you brought that up because I think it's a great example of a customer we worked with recently who was upset that they had a lot of unconfirmed subscribers on their list, which means there were a lot of people signing up to their form, you know, at least the email address came through their form and they got that email that was an incentive email. And it was essentially the people had to click the link in the email in order to get onto the list and be active. That's what we just talked about with a double opt-in. But the way they had it all worded was very confusing. And the call to action was something like, you know, download the guide, the PDF guide, which is great. But I know if I'm thinking about myself as a subscriber, a lot of times when I sign up for things like that and I want a PDF, I'm not in a place where when I open that message, I just like start downloading it and reading it. You know, I typically save it for later. And if I was that subscriber, I would have had no idea that I needed to click that button to be on their list or else I would have clicked a button that said, you know, confirm my opt-in. But a lot of times I personally like save those PDFs for later. I don't download them right then and there because I'm busy. And I think that's what was happening is a lot of people just weren't downloading the PDF, but they had no idea that that was the That was the golden ticket button. Right. So having a really clear call to action is great. And like you mentioned, Melissa, I think it's so important to remember that deliverability is just step one in getting in front of your subscribers. Having good deliverability isn't going to mean you have the highest sales or conversions or whatever. These are humans on the other side of it. You know, they're not robots. They're not going to be automatically opening all of your emails and clicking all of your links. And we shouldn't expect them to do that. You need to give them a reason to do that. And they need to be given some sort of value. Like they're, you have to think about them as humans Mm -hmm. and treat them that way. So we do definitely work with people who they have great deliverability. Their emails are going to the inbox and they're upset about their opens or click rates not being what they want. And really it comes down to their marketing and their content and the value that they're delivering to subscribers or they're emailing their subscribers every single day. Right. Like you need to, yeah, slow that down. These are humans in a pandemic. You know, maybe they have kids who are at home right now. There's a lot happening. Right. So if your open rates dropped from 50 to 40%, it's it's the people, you know, at right. the other end of it. And, you know, marketing and strategy and things like that. Um, it's not that all of your emails are going to spam. Right. Well, and speaking of uh, real people versus, you know, fake addresses, not fake, but um, seed lists are something that, you know, we can use to test whether or not emails are landing in the inbox or in the spam folder. And these are not email addresses that belong to real people. These are email addresses that are only used for email placement and figuring out if there might potentially be a problem with your deliverability or your domain or deliverability. And this is, we just had an episode on this. Um, If you're interested in learning more about like email placement and um, different tests you can use and how the metrics may or may not affect you and what to look at. Yeah. So that's, they're not real emails. 
and they can sometimes be helpful. <laughs> it's a whole thing yeah. we can get into in our in our other episode. Yeah, check out the episode on inbox placement test if you want to learn more about Seedlist and the pros and cons of those sorts of tests. Um, so something we mentioned earlier, we didn't define it, is spoofing. We are going to have a whole episode on that here shortly, but that is when someone sends an email pretending to be another person, company, brand, et cetera. I'm sure you have gotten an email uh, at some point and someone has been spoofing. So for example, you might get an email from Netflix. That's actually a popular brand right now for people to spoof. And it says something like your subscription is on on pause or, you know, your card was denied or something like that. And it's not actually Netflix. It's a fisher pretending to be Netflix. And if you click that link, they're going to ask for your login or your bank information or something like that. So spoofing is very dangerous. Obviously, it's one of the most successful ways for spammers or fishers to get your information. So that's what authentication is doing that we talked about earlier, is trying to make sure that domains can't be spoofed. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. It's They're really good at making emails look legitimate, and it's sometimes hard to notice whether or not someone is doing this. But I mean, oftentimes when someone asks for your bank information over an email, like to a link, it's typically something to think about before you release any personal information. And I I try not to open any email that looks sketchy, obviously. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I feel like we really should have a whole episode on like how to protect yourself and then make everyone send it to their grandparents mm-hmm. and parents and all your loved right. ones who tend to fall for scams. Uh, it's a really big problem. Yeah, especially right now with so much going on in the world. I think people are, it's easy to be distracted and not realize that you're a victim of spoofing. Yeah. If my dad is listening to this podcast, which is very cute, sometimes he does, he will typically send me a screenshot of every single spam email <laughs> he gets. And I just say, yep, that's spam. Don't click it. Like every time, yep, don't click that link. And he's like, yep, I know. So this podcast is helping him at least. That's uh, good to know. (laughs) Yeah. Our last one. I think this one's like probably something I say five times a day, but allow list, safe list, or adding to your address book is a way for subscribers to mark a sender as a safe sender and ensure all of their messages go to the inbox. I feel like we get a lot of customers reach out and they don't really have a deliverability issue, um, but they have like one or two subscribers who aren't receiving their emails like to their primary inbox every time. And if there's not like a consistent pattern and like a larger group of people who are, you know, not also having a similar issue, the best thing you can possibly do is ask that subscriber to add your sender address to their allow list, safe list, address book. A lot of different um, mailbox providers call it different things. Um, But this is just a really easy deliverability practice that ultimately helps you look better as a sender. And it makes sure that your subscribers are getting the information that they want in their primary inbox every time. Yes, exactly. So pretty much adding someone to your, you know, whatever you want to call it, allow list, safe list, address book, safe senders list. Um, What it's telling your mailbox is let this person through to my inbox and help them skip the spam filter altogether. Like I trust them. They're great. Send them right through. So for people that have really tricky spam filters, like we mentioned earlier, some of them really just have a ton of false positives especially, you know, we have a lot of senders who are teachers and they're sending to other teachers, things like that. 
That's the perfect opportunity to ask those people to allow list you or safe list you. And that's exactly what it'll do because those teachers, for example, their IT teams have all sorts of really strict filtering in place because they don't want teachers to receive any malicious emails. They really don't um, want them to receive a lot of promotional emails at work. It's really more for, you know, parents and students and other teachers. So the allow list is a great tool for those tricky subscribers who are just having a really hard time getting your mail. Vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for your quiz. Just kidding. Yeah, you can, we don't have a quiz. Yeah, you can put a little, you know, those like ones in school where you like draw the vocab word to the definition. <laughs> Maybe we should make some worksheets. Yeah, we can oh, make a worksheet. Kind of miss a good worksheet. People are at home. They don't have other things to do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll ask our amazingly talented designer to make a cute little worksheet. It's we'll funny. See, <laughs> see we could you could do like a timer, like a timered. What word is that? A timed version <laughs> and see how fast you can complete it. Ooh, and maybe the person who completes it fastest can get some sort of prize. Wow. We're having a great brainstorming session. And I think it's the pumpkin spice latte. It's been a creative Hashtag type of day. Sponsored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe we'll have a worksheet for you when this comes out. Um, in case you didn't know, we always put out a blog post on the ConvertKit blog that goes with every episode. And there's always goodies in there that our designer has made, um, like little graphics or cheat sheets or, you know, just extra resources. And we take everything we talked about and put it into words so that you can reference it later and you don't have to sit and memorize everything we're saying, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, so when, if you're listening to this, go head over to the ConvertKit blog and check out the blog post. And we might have a little worksheet for you there. You can also find it at convertkit.com slash deliverability. And we also have an Instagram uh, that yeah. Alyssa, I didn't realize for weeks, has been posting by herself. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to try to help out with that. But if you are interested in following our Instagram, it's deliverability defined as well. And it's always nice to have people like interact with the things that we post and let us know if things are helping you. So you can do that there. You can do that on, you know, convertkit.com slash deliverability. So many, so many different places where you can get information. <laughs> Yeah, and so many places where you can like talk to us, which is always really fun to I feel like we've made some friends from the podcast, people who listen uh frequently. So we love that. And keep reaching out to us. And I think I offered this on another episode, but if you have deliverability problems and you need help, obviously if you're a ConvertKit customer, you have access to us anytime. But um as I said in on another episode, even if you're not a ConvertKit customer, feel free to reach out to us. We're not going to give you a crazy sales pitch. Um, we're just happy to take a look and see if we can help because that's what we love to do. Well, I think that's everything, but I'm excited for next week's episode and we will see you then. Yep. See you later. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.